Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Before we jump into the message this week, we're going week two in this series as we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. But before we get into the message, if you're new to our church family, a couple things. We have coming up candlelight uh, services on the 23rd and the 24th, and we do this every year. And in order to make more room for more people and just accommodate uh, both families who are here, but also people who are trying to find a place to call home and a people to call family on Sundays. We've, we've done six service times, 5 and 7 p.m. on December 23rd, and then 1, 3, 5, and 7 on December 24th. You can go online right now, and you can RSVP, register your family, your crew, whoever you're bringing, pick your service time. It really just allows for us to plan better. So if everybody shows up at the same exact time on the 24th, we got problems. You know what I'm saying? So we're just trying to plan and, and make room for people who, def, who des, uh, desperately need um, what we have to offer in the person of Christ. And just uh, be praying about it, thinking about it, because more than any other time on the calendar, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have family who won't church, um, who don't really like maybe what you're about or the faith that you have. And yet they'll come and, and see and hear and experience Christmas with you, they'll say yes, and so just invite them to come and be a part, and then let God do the rest. So, make plans for candlelight services, and then today is Legacy Sunday. Legacy Sunday, a big deal in the life of our church. If you're new to our church family, every year we take this second Sunday in December as an opportunity to stop giving end of year offering, just a sacrificial offering that helps accelerate the vision that God has for our church. So it's not things that we operate off of, but it's like, hey, here's the vision gap. Here's what we could do if we came collectively together as a church family, gave, and then here's all the initiatives that we'd hit. We have five lanes, so we do local, national, international outreach and missional efforts. And then we also have a Soma College where we're trying to reach and build more of the influence on that 18 to 25 demographic long-term goal being, hey, let's create right here in Hickory, an opportunity for people to do practical ministry and get accredited degrees and move forward in ministry. Uh, But the biggest thing for us this year is we're trying to find that permanent home, that space, uh, that next, really the first building that God has for us as a church um, so that we don't have to run 27 Christmas Eve services in two years. Come on, somebody, right? So uh, we're believing for God to do that, and, and it's really cool that we get to take part in that. You, When you sat down today, you got a couple things because you got like a whole lot of things uh, as you sat down today. First of all, you have um, note, a note card that just says Christmas at Soma. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today. You also have a ways to give card. And today as we talk through legacy towards the back end of service, on the back side it has QR codes. One goes to online giving. The other goes to a platform that we added for people to be able to give stocks and crypto. And you're like, that's not, that's not me. I know a percentage of our church family that is you. And if that is you, there's people who like to give in that way, um, again, again, because you can give, often you can give more in that way. People's assets are wrapped up uh, in whatever that may look like for you in your stock portfolio. So if that's something that you want to take part in or a way that you want to give, it's available to you. And then we also have the little envelopes uh, for those who, um, you're, you're old school, baby. you like, give me that cash and that check. I want to write this down, put it in my little thing. You know, wh- how, whatever serves you well. Um, that ways to give card directs you on what that would look like. 
Um, and then these offering envelopes are in the back of your seat. So hold on to that, and we'll, we'll hit the offering towards the back end of service. You also have, I'm going to reference this today too, prayer cards in the back of your seat. Uh, and so when we talk through message today and I reference prayer cards, that's where they, they live in the back of that seat. So uh, Galatians 5 is the passage that we've been in, and the Apostle Paul, uh, here's what he has to say about the fruits of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We hit that last week. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so this series is all about leaning into the work of the Holy Spirit and, and really a, a work that God does on the inside of us and then it begins to spill out on the people around us. And all of a sudden it just hits different. We're more loving. We're more joyful. We're, we're full of peace. And this is what God desires for his people. God's character it, it is these things. So God's character is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's who God is. And as we follow Jesus, we become more like him. And then the Holy Spirit does a work on the inside us to transform us more into the likeness of Christ. This week, we hit the second fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and this is everybody, if we're being real, this is everybody's favorite fruit of the Spirit, okay? This is just like, a matter of fact, y'all do me a favor. Come on, clap your hands. Make some noise in this place. Y'all give it up for joy, everybody. Joy's in the building. <laughs> Woo! Joy. We all want joy. Everybody you know wants more joy. As a matter of fact, from a marketing standpoint, it's such a felt need that, that you know, big companies, they decide to advertise this time of year. They don't give a rip about anything of faith, they're just like, you know what, put joy on it and people will buy that car. Come on, you need some joy, buy this couch, right? And so, uh, matter of fact, Starbucks leans in, you know what I mean? This $6 cup of burnt coffee with some flavor, with a red cup says joy, you're like, hey, it's different. I just like that, it just feels good, right? So, um, and this is a felt need. We all want more joy. Um, we all do. How many of you, honestly, you would say, I could afford some more joy in my life? I, I could afford some more. Okay, some of you are like, whatever. How many of you know someone, maybe sitting next to you, who could afford more joy in your life? Come on, right? Let's be real. Um, we all need it. And, uh, and so it's not only our favorite character trait, but, but it's, uh, it, culturally it's a felt need. It hits everywhere. Uh, joy sells. And the reason why is because we all desire more of it. Things like faithfulness. We're like, ah, okay, cool. Yeah, faithfulness, great, right? Self-control, maybe not so much. Joy, yes, Lord. Give me more joy, right? That's where we're at, some people. So uh, we wish you had more of it. And um, the question is, how do we get more joy? And there's a great verse on joy in the book of Isaiah. The prophet gives a word about the coming of Christ in Isaiah 9. And, uh, and there's an, uh, it says there's an angle on joy in this passage. I want to read it to us to get us going. It says this in Isaiah 9, 2 through 3. The people, they walked in darkness. They were walking in darkness, and they've seen a great light. And in those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There's Christmas. Jesus sets onto the scene, comes into a world broken, comes into a world dark, comes into a world void of uh, a right relationship with God. A light has dawned. And then it says this, you have enlarged the nation, Lord. In Jesus, man, you have enlarged the nation. No longer is it about rule following. No longer is it about the remnant. No longer is it about the Hebrews. No longer it is about the Israelites. Now you've enlarged the nation. Whosoever will may come. And it says this, and he increased their joy. God increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So God says it looks dark, but we're getting ready to rejoice because the light has come. 
And uh, I'm sending Jesus, I'm sending my son, the incarnation of Christ comes and ushers in a new way to be human, ushers in a new way to be in right relationship with God, ushers in this season of joy. And there's going to be joy. And he says, here's what the joy is going to feel like. It's going to feel like joy after the harvest. It's going to feel joy after, uh, after the battle when you divide the plunder. And so um, as we look at the back end of that message, we're like, yes, give us more joy. But if you read through it where it says, hey, the joy is going to be like joy after the harvest. Right? It's going to be this celebration of harvest. Rejoice at the harvest. And so... Um, I grew up in eastern North Carolina. Everything on the other part of the state is very flat, uh, if you've lived there before. A lot of farmland where I grew up, rural area where I grew up. Uh, had family that were, you know, they farmed, essentially. And so we would go, I remember going as a kid, I'd go over to my grandparents' house and we'd have five-gallon buckets. And we would shell field peas. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You just sit on the couch and just shell peas and then you, a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of grind for like a little tiny little bowl of field peas. You know what I mean? And so as a kid, I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why are we doing this? This is so dumb, right? I was excited when it was time to eat said field peas. I was not into uh, the work and the labor involved, the effort involved to get to the bowl of the field peas. Now, my, grand, my granddad loved it. Everything from the planting of the seed to watering, to looking, to tilling, to doing every part of it required to get to a harvest. Uh, but me, not so much. I was just like, just give me the joy at the harvest. I don't really want the work involved or the effort involved to get to the joy of the harvest. But the Bible teaches us that that's a big part of what joy looks like. Is that there is a discipline, there is an effort. As a matter of fact, Paul teaches us this, that joy is something to choose something to put on, regardless of what it is that you're going through. There is a discipline and an effort on our part. There's work involved. And then he goes on, he says, you're going to have joy like warriors that rejoice when dividing the plunder. So after the battle, after the war, there's joy, which means what? It means there was a battle. It means you went through a battle, right? Everybody loves, everybody loves the championship ring. Everybody loves the victory. Everybody loves... Uh, you know, if, and people who are here who have served in the military, you know what it's like to be involved in a real battle. And then to be on the backside of that battle, to have won the war, there's such a celebration that breaks out all over the place. People like we won. And for some of you, because a lot of us haven't served in the military, maybe a sports metaphor hits. Like your team won a championship and it's just like, man, we're champs. Let's go. Victory is attached to that. And there's a lot of effort and a lot of grind and a lot of work involved to get to the end of that. And then specifically for battle, because he's talking about real battles, um, you know, there's, it's, it's hard. It's war. It's a battle that you're fighting. And it's not something that you want to go through, but in order to get the joy that comes on the back end of the battle, you have to go through a battle. You got to go through a battle. And so many of us want the joy without the hard things that you have to go through in order to get there. But, um, and so many of us, we would look at this passage and go, the battle, the hard thing that I'm going through in my life right now. The, the phone call that I got or the relationship struggles that I'm, that I'm having or uh, the sickness that I'm battling or the loss that I'm experiencing or all the things that, can, that life can throw at us, we think that is the problem. The battle is the problem. The battle isn't the problem. It's the way that we go through the battle that makes all the difference in the world. And the Apostle Paul, he teaches us that. Uh, God's promises aren't that I don't go through hard things, but when that I do go through hard things, I lean on him, rely on him, follow him, and then he takes my pain and he puts purpose on it. 
and he can redeem even the hardest of situations, even the most broken places of my life. God will take that, the hard season, the battle, the work, the effort, all of that on the back end, give me over to a joy that I would not be able to access if I had not gone through what I went through. Right? And so that that should encourage some of us who are going through really hard seasons. And I know in a room like this, we're going through really hard seasons. It's a season of of great joy and a season of great love and great generosity. It can also be a season of great stress. And so today, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that points us to joy. I love the Isaiah 9 passage, Christmas reference. But today, I want to look on this Legacy Sunday. I want to talk about how our joy is attached to generosity. And so we say this as a church, this is a value of us as a church, if you're new to our church family. Generosity is our joy. Generosity is our joy. And the reason why we say generosity is our joy, Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 9, he tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a a giver who's doing it out of the overflow of joy in their life, not out of obligation or compulsion, but I really want to give. Um, And we know this is true, generosity is our joy, because we give to the things that we love. I give my time, my efforts, my emotional equity, my money, all the things. If I love it, I'm invested in it as a part of my calendar, as a part of my attention. Generosity is my joy because I give to what what we love. And uh, and we know this is true of God. God so loved, he gave. And he, he didn't give a little bit. He gave his one and only son so that you and I could be in right relationship with him. He could save and redeem us. And make us whole again. Paul's writing a letter uh, that we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians. And if you were with us a couple summers ago, we did a book, a book study in 1 Corinthians. And so Paul, he, the Apostle Paul, he goes in. He's given the title Apostle because he goes in and he plants churches. He pioneers. He starts new things. But he doesn't just do it one time. He does it all over the place in the Roman Empire and in Greek territories, uh, Asia Minor. So he goes all over the place. God sends him. Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to go over here, talk to these people about Jesus. So he says, okay, cool. He goes, shares the gospel with people. God gets a hold of their heart. People come to faith in Christ, and then they're like, now what? And then he has to disciple them, has to teach them about who God is, has to teach them about who Jesus is, and has to give them over to disciplines, and then trains them, instructs them in what God's already said, and then grows a leadership team builds a leadership structure, and then says, cool, you're in charge. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to start a new one. And then he goes over, and he starts a new one. And so he does this all throughout the New Testament. So two-thirds of your New Testament in your Bible, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, two-thirds of what you see in the New Testament is Paul writing back to the churches that he helped to establish. Again, by the grace of God, not that he's not that great, but the God in him is. And he started all these amazing churches. And so Paul writes back and says, hey, Here's what we believe as followers of Jesus. Here's our doctrine. Here's our theology. Hey, here's a place that I really need to bring some correction. Here's some place that I really need to bring some encouragement. And the cool thing is, is that they still work for us today. So God speaks through his word, even though it's been a couple thousand years. God speaks through his word today, and it still hits home. It's still application that we have for us today. And so that's where we're at. This is 2 Corinthians 8. And we're going to pick up in verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He is, he's going uh, to Corinth, and he is coming to collect an offering. And, and as he comes to collect this offering, um, he, he gives them a heads up, hey, I'm coming. And, and this is for not for you personally right there, but this is for all the other people that you get to impact as a result of your generosity. He says this in 2 Corinthians 8.1. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And so before he talks about the specifics of the offering, he says, hey, let me just share some things with you. You're not alone. 
This is the work of God. Let me share with you what God's done in some other churches in Macedonia. And Paul says, listen, there's other gatherings doing the same thing that I'm asking you to do. It's not just the church in Corinth. And so there are others. And he says, I want you to know not about the amount given. I want you to know not about the percentage growth. I want you to know not about the details on the finances. What do I want you to know about? I want you to know about the grace that God gave these people. What is that grace? They had a desire to give. The grace is, is that God did a thing inside of them. And out of the overflow of that, it began, it began to work and move and shape their hearts on the inside. And so it began to shape their community. And so they had this grace. Um, so let me just stop right here before we move forward and just say that generosity and joy, both of those, uh, and the partnership of them both, it's all God's work. It's all God's work. If you're a generous person and you grow, as Paul says, grow in that grace of giving, or if you're someone who's full of joy, that is a gift. That's a gift. And it's something that you can steward, and it's something that you can cultivate, and it is a discipline to choose joy daily, and it is a discipline to begin to grow in the grace of giving. You have to put it on. But it is a gift. It's an inward work that God does. So if there's a desire there, let's just say, for example, if there's a desire that you know of a need in your family or you know of a need in the community, and you just have a desire to help and serve people, that's a grace. Not without the specifics. It's just God giving you over to loving and serving people, not for your benefit, but for theirs. That's a grace. And so God does a work in you so he can do one through you. And it's not that you and I are naturally uh, super generous or open-handed. Because if you're like me, I'm pretty self-involved. And then I can get fleshy and then God reminds me, hey, it's not about you. It's what I want to do through you. And so keep reading on in verse uh, 2 of this passage. Paul says this. So he says, this incredible grace that God's given them. And then he says this. Here's what it looks like. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy. I love that phrasing. Overflowing joy. And their extreme poverty welled up. It welled up in rich generosity. So if you're taking notes, here's kind of our first takeaway for joy. Something we need to know. Joy is inside out. Joy is inside out. It's, it's overflowing. It's welling up. What was in them began to come out of them. This radical expression of generosity marked their church. But it was not primarily like an outward thing. It wasn't primarily, okay, let's just pretend to be generous. Let's just give for the sake of giving. Let's just go through the motions. Let's just whatever. No. He says, nope. God got a hold of them. God got a hold of them in a supernatural way. And out of the overflow of that, he did a miraculous work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't will yourself to be more joyful. And if you're like me, you've tried before. Where you're prone to anger. Where you're prone to fear. Where you're prone to frustrations. Where you're prone to depression. Where you're prone to sadness. And you have a lean in one direction. And you're going, all right, I'm just going to make myself more joyful. No, you won't. <laughs> you can do things that on the outside look to be joyful. Oh, he looks like he's having a good time. He's not having a good time. Like, you, you can't make yourself more joyful. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's God's work inside of you. And so the Apostle Paul reminds us that joy is also a choice, that you and I have a contribution in all of this. Yes, it's God's work in me, but my contribution is I get, a daily, I get a discipline in all of this. I get a choice to make in how I view the things that I'm going through. And so the Apostle Paul, he says this in Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence to all the Lord is near. 
And so Paul, the same guy who gives us this 2 Corinthians passage, writes this letter to the church in Philippi. As he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he's in prison. And his letter to the church in Philippi is, rejoice, man. Rejoice. Have great joy. And then I love this phrasing, rejoice. He's like, rejoy. Like it's a, it's a thing you have to just continually put on. Like you have to choose to have joy regardless of your circumstances. It is not attached to what you're going through. It is not attached to your environment. He's like, you can access joy anywhere. He's like, I know that. I'm literally chained to a wall right now, right? So he's writing this letter. This isn't like minimum security, cable TV, you know what I mean? We're going to play football out in the courtyard kind of thing. We're going to go to the wood shop kind of prison, right? This is Paul is chained in a Roman jail, and he's literally in chains, and he's writing this letter to the church to encourage them. Rejoice, rejoice. Do it again, God. Give, give me joy again. And then the the passage that we're looking at in Philippians 4, it connects joy and prayer so well. So he goes on, he encourages them, them to rejoice, and then he says, here's one of the ways that we do that, is we do that through prayer. Prayer replaces worry. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, making my requests known to God. Let me hand everything over that I'm worried about, that I'm anxious about, that I'm fearful of, and then in that sets in this piece, gives me, gives me an opportunity to have joy rather than have the hard things that I've been dealing with. And so uh, I love it. Prayer is really one of the best, biggest things that you and I can do to contribute to this growing and, and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit is to hand over the things that are outside of my circumstances or my, outside of my control, all the hard things that I'm going through, and then hand that to God and then trust God with the results. Believe God's promises over my life. Stay rooted in what God said would happen and what his word says about who I am and the people around me. And then he gives me over to this joy. So discipline-wise, some of the things that I can do just for today. So you have these prayer cards. Here's my encouragement for you when it comes to the area of joy. I want you to write down today, sometime, you can do it right now, you can do it over the course of this message towards the end. I want you to write down some of the things you've been worried about. I want you to write down some of the things you've been stressing over, some of the things that you've been afraid of. Write them down. And then watch what happens as you pray and you ask God, hey, God, I can't control the situation. I'm not strong enough. I need you to show up in these areas. Write them down. Pray about them. And then the Bible tells us, Paul instructs us, that in exchange for worry and fear and anxiety, he gives us over to this supernatural joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so... Um, so Jesus, he says this in Matthew. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He's being rhetorical. He's being, you know, metaphor. He's being rhetorical here. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. That's a good word. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so Jesus is like, listen, I'm God and man. I get it. Being human is hard. Okay, like it's, he said, tomorrow, there's enough worry about tomorrow in and of itself. Each day holds enough trouble of its own. Stop worrying. But then he, he basically, Paul gives us commentary on Jesus's passage when he says, but by supplication, by prayer, make your request known to God. Here's the takeaway. What we worry about the most reveals where we trust God the least. So if there's an area of your life that you're anxious, that you're fearful, that you're worried about specifically, a lot of times that's the area of your life that you're struggling to trust God with that area. And it's not going to be one. Not to, not to discourage you. It's not going to be one. It's going to be many areas of your life that we struggle to let go. 
Sometimes it could be an idol. Sometimes it could be misaligned priorities. Sometimes it could just be really hard things that we go through and go, this is hard. I've never done it before. I don't know how to trust you with this. But as we pray, he begins to give us over to peace is what he promises us in this Philippians passage. And then he tells us it begins to give us more joy, as he says in verse 4 and verse 5. So we need an internal change and a shift in perspective. We need a more robust prayer life. And so that's my, what's one application for you today. We're going to start at the beginning of this year in January. We're going to start 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you've never been to our church family for 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want to highly encourage you. Start January 1, that Sunday. We're going to gather as a church. We're going to talk about where we're going. And then January 2 through 20 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so uh, prayer for all kinds of things, all kinds of initiatives, but also fasting, which means we're going to get real with God about, hey, these are the things we're believing for. These are the things that we're hoping for. And I'll begin to unpack unpack more of of why we pray and fast as we get closer to that. But um, prayer cards today, if you can, take a minute, fill out a prayer card, and just really just make your request known to God and then watch what happens. And then look at verse 3. Of this passage. So joy is on the inside out, but then verse three, he goes on, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, these churches in Macedonia. Even though they were impoverished, even though they were broken, even though they were in a season where they didn't have very much, they were not the type of church that you would think would collect an offering. He says this, For I testify they gave as much as they were able to give, and then miraculously, man, they gave beyond their ability. Their overflowing joy, despite the hard things they were going through. Which means that joy is accessible regardless of what you're going through. So the, the overflowing joy, uh, it comes out of them and it comes out in the form of generosity. It comes out, the love, love is made tangible in the gifts that we give. Our time, our talent, our treasure, my emotional investment. Again, we give to what we love. And so it welled up in rich generosity. Uh, here's the takeaway. Joy is beyond my circumstances. So for the churches in Macedonia... They're impoverished, severe trials, really hard times, and yet joy was not subject to their circumstances. It was outside of that. And so this is what Psalm 19.8 says. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. What gives us joy? A vacation? A new car? A new pair of Jordans? Like, all, like what, I mean, there's a light lift on each of those things. Happiness is attached to those. Let's go. Woo! But, but, but joy doesn't set in. What gives us joy? It says this, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. What gives you lasting joy when you have a loved one that you've lost? What gives you lasting joy when you get the hardest news that you've ever received? The precepts of the Lord. The truth is outside of you. And so is joy. And so you access it by grabbing hold. Hey, here's what God says about who I am, about who he is. He's faithful. He doesn't change. Even when my circumstances change, even when I go through hard things, he does not change. And so my joy needs to be rooted in something outside of me, outside of my circumstances. The precepts of the Lord of right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And so here's, here's an exercise. So for those of us who struggle in this area, because you're like, I get it, precepts of the Lord, what God says about me, promises in his word, here's, here's an exercise, is just take some time to write down all the amazing things that God's already done in your life, all the things you've already prayed for and then God came through. 
Take time, take time to write down the faithfulness of God. Get a gratitude journal at night, in the morning, whatever the case. Like, just take some time and write down. Your hand's going to get tired. Of the faithfulness of God in your life. I said I was going to do this, and then I did this. I said this in my word, and this is who I am, and I remain faithful. Here's a, here's a more, because sometimes if we're not careful in Western, um, you know, Western church, we think of uh, the faithfulness of God in terms of material provision. And, and yes, that's true. But I'm talking about God said a thing. I actually trusted him at his word. I was obedient in that area. I applied his word to my life, and then he came through in this way. Write those down. Right, and then what was it going to do when, when that happens? The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Man, there's a, such an attachment between gratitude and joy. It's hard for you to, like, be in a bad mood if you're too busy taking inventory of all the amazing things that God's done for you. The same thing's true for the people around you. You want to be more joyful in your marriage? Take inventory. Express gratitude. You want to be more joyful in a relationship, a friend, a coworker, a, a classmate, a teammate, whatever? Take inventory. Express. Uh, take inventory. Gratitude of all the amazing things that God's done in your life, and maybe what the people around you, what they've done on your behalf, and then you're given over to joy in that in that space. And so joy is beyond my circumstance. Look at verse four. He says this, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. These people are going through severe trials and they broke. And Paul's like, listen, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. That's how you know it's an internal thing is when you are so broke, you can't pay attention. And then Paul's like, we're going to take up an offering. And then they're like, oh, you know, but like, but the joy in them is like, let's go. Let's, I have nothing to give. Like, I've got this much. I'm going to give whatever I've got. And then God's going to bless it in that moment. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. Verse 5, as, and they exceeded our expectations. It says this, they gave of themselves first of all to the Lord. So we build a culture of first here at Soma. I want to put God first in my week. You're here on a Sunday. I want to put God first when it comes to my time, when it comes to my talent. What have you gifted me in? What have you made me, created me for? How can I leverage my passions, my vocation, my purpose, all of that to advance your kingdom and your cause? It's not a Sunday activity. It is a lifestyle of how can I leverage what you've handed me, my time, my talent, my treasure, my relationships. I want you first in every area. They put God first. They, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then it says this, by the will of God, man, they gave themselves to us. So here's the takeaway. Joy is with others in mind. Joy is with others in mind. There's no joy on the path of me, myself, and I. Um, th there's an acronym. Many of you know it. Uh, it's, it's old school. It's classic. It's so I don't know of anything better, right? So joy stands for this. Jesus, others, you. That's what joy stands for. Right? That's the divine order. They said this. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God gave to us. They weren't thinking of themselves, and they came in last on the back end. So let's break it down. J is for Jesus. We have a culture uh, uh, as a church. We want to make God primary. We want to make sure our priorities are in place. And, again, part of that is in, is in our act of giving Financially, but again, in every area of our life, God, how can I put you primary in this area? And then others, oh, the way we find joy is in serving other people. I know, I know all kinds of people who have made um, 
They will set a goal for themselves. They'll be successful by the world's standards and yet robbed of joy because they made it about themselves as they achieve what they wanted to achieve. They get to the end of it and they go, this guy stinks. Like, this is not worth it. It's like, exactly, because you, you made it about you instead of made it about others. And so um, it, God changes our heart and gives us over to this great joy when my primary motivation isn't what does this do for me, what does this do for my own purse, what does this do for my material possession, what does this do for my influence or my status or whatever, but rather what does this do as I serve you? It's the difference between someone who goes into to medicine for the sake of medicine, like I just think it would be cool, I just really want people to call me doctor, versus people who... Versus people who go into it to, like, help people. There's way more purpose over here than there is over here. It's difference between someone who goes to be an attorney because they watch an episode of Law and Order. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, I really want, I don't really, you know. Versus, versus, like, I really want to serve people. Like, legally, it's a thing for me. People who go into teaching, right, for the wrong motivation, for the paycheck. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? So, or, or for, for people who go into it saying, you know what, I was impacted so much by my, che- by my teachers growing up. Like, nobody, nobody shaped me more. Nobody influenced me more. Like, it's, it's profound what happens in the life of a teacher, life of a coach, life of a pastor, life of a leader, business leader. Like, what is your motivation for doing what you do? It needs to be others. You'll be given to joy as you do that. And then here's the last thing. You. So I'm not first. I'm not even second. You're like, you're third. You're not even third. You're last, right? That's what you are. So it's Jesus, everybody else, and then cool, and then, and then I'm last. And so um, this is what God's calling us to do is if in order to ex- tap into joy, experience what he wants for us to have, we have to realize that it is about him primarily And as we put him first, just like this church, this Macedonian church that Paul references, as we place God primary and then we make it about serving others, then he begins. What's what's so crazy about the way God works? It's really Christian hedonism. We're all after the same thing. We all want the feel goods. And what Paul says and what God promises is you will get it. You will access joy like you've never experienced it before. How? When you stop making it about you. That's how. That's how you do it, right? When you, when you build that discipline and that trust in God and uh, you begin to invest in other people's lives. The reality is, is that you and I are called to bless other people, to serve other people, and that as we do that, God gives us over to great joy. Here's what Paul, he goes on, he says this. He says, since you, are, since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, you excel in speech and knowledge, complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you all excel in this grace of giving. He's talking to the church in Corinth. I'm not commanding you. This isn't a command. This isn't a legal requirement. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Why? Generosity can be your joy because you give to what you love. Paul says, we'll know what you will love based on what you give to. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And Paul, he's telling them this not to make him feel bad. He's telling them this so he would say, now let's do that for other people. Let's take the experience that you have in salvation and sanctification and all that you've learned in following Jesus, and let's make room for other people to experience what you have in Christ. That same, that same letter, he goes on in chapter 9. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, 
You reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't want to give out of a place of obligation because I feel bad, because of social pressure, because my neighbor gave whatever. Paul said, no, it needs to be a fruit. It needs to be overflow. You need to really pray and ask God, will you do a work in me so that I just care more about the things that you care about, namely others? Will you do that? Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctant or under compulsion. And it says this, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when your joy is attached to your gift and your generosity. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all time, having everything that you need, you're going to abound with every good work. Because some of us are stressed out, uh, and I've been there before, where there was a gap between what I felt like God was asking me to be faithful to do, what I felt like God was asking me to give, and also bills. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes, Lord, but also like reality. And, uh, and then just really just prayerfully going, God, would you give me discernment in this area? One, would you help me better to steward what you put in my hand? Because usually there's some area of growth there. It's an opportunity for growth in the area of stewardship. But two, would you give me great faith that you're my provider? not my place of employment, not my paycheck. Uh, you're my security, not my house, not my stuff. You're Jaira. Every good and perfect gift that I've experienced in my life, you've given me. And then just pray and ask, just like Paul says, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to give in this moment? How do you want me to sow into others? And then he says, as you do that, on faith, God's going to equip you with everything that you need to do all that God's asked you to do. And I believe that for you individually. I also believe that for us as a church. That, that's the thing that's freed me up the most. Like, I ain't stressed out a bit. I don't care if, if, if we bring in $10 or $10 million, it don't matter to me either way, like what God does in the legacy offering. The idea is to trust him and, and to just be faithful. Hey, here's what God's word says. Here's what we're going to do as a church family. I love it so much because we haven't attached some kind of dollar amount initiative to this. We have dream, big dreams and big goals, things that we want to see God do. But we also trust that he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, just as we're obedient in our part. What's my portion? What's your portion? Let's move at it together. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says this, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food will also going to supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And that hit me this morning. I was reading that in the 8 o'clock. I'll be, I'll be real with you for a minute. I don't even have any teach on this, but instead of enlarging your territory the way that we think about territory, so if I sow, if I invest, if I, if I give generously to whatever initiative, what do I get out of it? Which is typically, if I'm being real, what a lot of us think, what I even think sometimes, what does this mean for me? Um, or what is the impact or the success by world standards? And then God redirects me this morning and he says this, he says, he says, uh, I'm going to increase the store of seed and I'm going to enlarge the harvest of what? Your righteousness. <laughs> right? Not, not success by the world's standards, not a bigger building, not more people, not greater influence for you personally, not, be, not greater recognition for you, not whatever. Like, No, he's, he's just saying, I'm, I'm just going to increase your righteousness. Let's get after that. And then, and then he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. So your generosity, 
your giving, again, God doing a thing inside of you and out of the overflow of that begins to express itself. Love becomes tangible in the form of gifts. I'm, I'm here for the people who aren't here yet. I'm here for the people who haven't come to faith in Christ. I'm here for the people who are far from God. I'm here for the people who need a marriage restored. I'm here for the people whose families are broken. I'm here for the people who need healing. I'm here for the people. Jesus comes primarily. He says, listen, I don't, I'm not here for the people who have it together. I'm here for the people that need a doctor. I'm here for the people who are broken, who are lost, who are far from God. That's who I'm here for. And then as we, as we, listen, as we grow in the fruits of the Spirit, the love that you have for people who are far from God begins to grow. The joy that you have, the peace attached to what comes when we give our lives over to people who are far from Him, it begins to grow. He says, I'm going to give you everything you need on every occasion. And through your generosity, it's going to result in praise. It's going to result in thanksgiving. And it's going to be... Um, just an outpouring of worship. And I just want to encourage you today to worship God uh, as he leads you to do it. So we, we want to take an end of your offering. And, um, and there's some practical pieces attached to that. But I really just want to encourage you to just worship him. So we give tithes not because out of obligation or some legal requirement. There is a biblical principle there. But I give because of what Jesus has done for me. I get to sow back into other people. Matter of fact, every single one of us, if we're being real, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you're in a relationship with Jesus because of someone else. They took the time. They gave their energy, their effort, their emotional equity, their, their talents, their treasure, everything so that you could experience that moment where you realize who Jesus says you are. I remember as a kid feeling the moment where I just realized who Jesus is. And it wasn't because I worked my way into that space and it wasn't because I did anything or I gave anything. I was in that moment. I had that experience. I was baptized at this camp in a pool at 10 years old because of what other people sowed into my life, not anything that I did. And then, and then God invites us into that same work. Hey, what does it look like to give to people who aren't here yet? Hey, what does it look like to give to people who are far from God? When, you, when you're writing on those prayer cards today, as you're thinking about prayer needs that you have in your life, here's my last encouragement because the team's going to come and collect an offering here in this last song. I want you to pray for the people in your life who need Jesus. Pray for the people in your life who you know, hey, I got this family member, I got this friend, I got this coworker, I got this person on my ball team, whatever. Write their name down. Pray and ask God to do in and through you and the people around that individual what only he can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just pray. But also, as we can, and we're limited in what we can do, but as we can, man, let's, let's not in our own strength, but just supernaturally out of the overflow of what God's doing in us, generously just love and serve people into the fold, into the kingdom, into the house of God. I believe, uh, I believe miracles, um, I believe life change, I believe joy is on the other side of our obedience. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you love us. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this moment as a church family where we get to stop and express our gratitude and our love for you and really just in response to everything that you've done for us, it's the only thing that makes sense for us to just begin to give towards what you're about, which is others, people who are far from you. God, people in other countries and 
people in territories who are experiencing need, physical need, but also spiritual need. And then really in our backyard, God, our community, Valley of Dry Bones, God, people who operate out of a religious space, who have some history with the church, but have no life-giving relationship with you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us over to a great passion for those who are far from you. That is where your focus is. That is where your heart is. Give us over to more of that. And so as we, uh, as we pray and we take all of our anxiety and our worry and we hand it over to you, God, as we trust you at your word and we realize that your promises for our life, the truth that you have for us, it's outside of us. The joy that we have should be rooted not in our circumstances, but in who you say we are and who you are. God, as we get that divine order right, we put you primary in our lives. We make it about others. And then only after that, God, we place ourselves. But what's crazy in all of that is you give us over to joy. You give us over to the thing that we're after as we place the divine priority. I pray for every single person in this room, God, you know what we need. You know what we're battling. Um, you know the areas of our lives that we hold a little bit too tightly. You know, the areas of our lives where we have idols or the areas of our lives where we have misaligned priorities. And Holy Spirit, I pray you do a work in us. Today and moving forward, God, give us over to love and give us over to joy. Give us over to peace that supernaturally marks our lives and impacts the people around us. God, I'm praying for this offering today as we take it. And, uh, and, and I'm praying for everybody who's already given, God, that you would take their portion as they pray, think about what does it mean for me and my family to give. As you take their portion, God, I pray that you would, you would do in and through it what only you could do. You'd multiply it. You'd open up crazy opportunities and miracles and doors, things outside of the realm of possibility for us, exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, that the impact would be great, that you would bless their obedience and, and, and bless our obedience. And so if, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and we talk about fruits of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace, where you're going, man, I can't access that. I can't access that. You won't be able to access that in your own strength. It's really a, a fruit of the Spirit. It is a gift. from God in you begins to do a great work. And in order to get there, you have to be in relationship with Christ. You have to surrender and trust. The Bible tells us it's by grace that God has saved us, but it's also through faith, your faith in who Jesus says he is. And you have to have that moment where you surrender, you lay down arms. Every part of your life, not parts, but every part. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here today and you've never experienced salvation, never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in that. You just say, Jesus, I surrender. I see you for who you are. God, I give you my life. And on faith, I trust you with my relationship, with my marriage, with my kids, with my family, with my roommate, with my purpose, with my college, with everything. God, I trust you with every bit. I trust you. And I'm surrendering ownership and I'm surrendering the agenda over to you. You lead me. You're going to take me places better than what I've dreamed up for myself. You want more for me. And I know, I, I know that I'm going to experience hard things and I know I'm going to experience trials and I know I'm going to experience all of that. But on the other side of that is joy. On the other side of that effort, on the other side of, of that work and that tilling and that sowing and that planting is the joy of the harvest. On the other side of the battle is the joy of the plunder. And Jesus, thank you so much that you endured the cross, that you despised the shame that was brought on you in that moment. Why? For the joy that was set before you. This moment where I come in a right relationship with you. 
So God, I'm asking for more of what you have to offer. Lead me. Save me. And God, I'm grateful for us as a church family for the work that you've done over the past year. God, help us in this moment to express gratitude, to worship you well in this moment. In song, in giving, with our lives, help us to express gratitude for all the many people that you've impacted, for the hundreds who have expressed uh, a surrender to you over the past year. God, for, for, the, for the close to 90 people who've been baptized this year. God, for all the people who have stepped into church family and, and gotten excited about next steps and growth in you. Thank you so much for your work. And God, we worship you right now in this moment. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So guys, right now, because we don't ever take an offering. This is, not, this is so foreign and so new to our team. At an 8 o'clock service, nobody knew what to do right? So, but once a year we take an offering, team has buckets. They're going to pass, you pass that down the aisle if you've never done that before. And you can put in those buckets, you can put those prayer cards that we talked about. You can put offering envelopes for those of you that are giving with cash or check. And uh, if you're new, if you're new to our church family, you can put your next step card in there. Just communicate to us, give an opportunity to really worship God in this moment as the team leads us in this last song. And, uh, and let's believe for God to do amazing things in and through this offering.